You may be seated. Well, I'm already worn out, so I don't know how. What a wonderful time of worship. Can we thank them again? For... Again, uh, being able to work with Stanley and Jamie, I think you'd really enjoy it. So if uh, you have any interest at all in being on a chapel team, you can uh, come to the meeting Tuesday night, fill the application out online. But Stanley's going to do something different that we haven't had before. So maybe some of you, are, is anyone in here like me, completely musically inept? Anyone like that? Anyone can't sing, can't play? Four of you, right. I'm sure we're the only four in here uh, that uh, can't. But anyway, he's going to be starting a larger ensemble, kind of a mini choir, once or twice a semester for those of you that, that may not be able to be on the chapel team but still want to uh, maybe have an opportunity to lead the community in worship. So you'll, you'll find out more about that. Well, our theme for this year is one. And it's coming from Ephesians 4, which I'm going to read from in a moment, in a few minutes after I give you some background to what happened in the book of Ephesians prior to chapter 4, or what Paul's trying to communicate and say. But I want to let you know that, that didn't, this theme did not just come from the spiritual development office or me or Jenny or Jamie. It came from faculty, staff, and students in our spiritual formation committee. And we started thinking about this coming year. Last spring, we started thinking about this coming fall. And, and, and what comes to mind when, what, what types of prayers do we have on our heart that come to mind as we think about this community? So we're throwing out different words and sayings and things. And, and we really feel that we were led to this verse of one, which again, we find in Ephesians chapter 4, and I'll be reading from verses 1 through 6 in a few moments. But I want to give you a little background. The book of Ephesians is a letter to the church in Ephesus. It's written by the Apostle Paul, and the Apostle Paul used to refer to, would refer to himself as the worst of sinners. Not only was he far from God, he persecuted and killed Christians. But the Lord made a radical change in his life and stormed into his life, and uh, he became this great apostle for the Lord, and uh, he would start churches all over the region, all over the area. And one place that he didn't even originally plan to start a church was in Ephesus. He was just passing through one day, and they encouraged him to stay there and start a church. But um, he agreed that he'd come back, and he did. And even though it wasn't part of his plan or agenda, he ended up staying there for almost three years. It's interesting that even though it wasn't part of his plan and agenda, it was obviously part of God's plan and agenda. Uh, for as he started that church, Ephesus was a very important city, for it was right on the coast, on the Aegean Sea, and, and it was a trade city, and there was a port, so people would come from all over the, the country surrounding it uh, to, to trade there, to do business there. So it was a very important city, and they would come into that city, and they would hear Paul's message, and they would see the church starting. Then they would go back to their country. Then they would go back to their people and start churches there. It really was a very, very important time in Paul's life. Again, what he didn't have planned, but obviously God had it planned for his life. But this letter that he writes to the church of Ephesus, we don't know how many years after he left that he writes this letter, but we do know that he's in prison. He's in prison for his faith. And he was in prison several times for his faith, and on occasion they would allow him to have visitors and guests, and he would write a letter and say, now take this to the church. So we don't know if this was a letter just to the church in Ephesus or if it was a circular letter where it went to several of the churches he started. But we do know that it was a letter from his heart to Jews and Gentiles. For Jews and Gentiles were coming to know Christ as their Lord and Savior from all over the world, from all over that region that started almost Ephesus being a hub. And it's not just an inspirational letter, but this letter talks about the practical demands of Christian living. The practical demands of Christian living in a hostile society. So when we turn to this verse of 1, this theme of 1 in chapter 4, we need to keep in mind that he's not trying to correct them. It's not one of those letters. He's not trying to correct them in that way. He's just trying to encourage them and remind them of all the grace that you have received. 
from Christ. Now you must change the way that you are living. You must change the way that you are living personally and corporately as a community. So to quickly scan the first three chapters, just a couple of points. In chapter 1, we see Paul talking about praises for spiritual blessings in Christ. In verse 7, he says, In Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the richness of God's grace. Through the blood of Christ, we have been forgiven. Through the blood of Christ, we have redemption, and we are made right with God. Later in verse 1, he gives praise for the fact that they have come to know God and they're serving Him. For this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all His people, I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. As he moves on, he talks about how we came to life in Christ and we are alive in Christ. In chapter 2, verses 4 through 8. But because of His great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. And God raised up Christ and seated us with Him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that in the coming ages we might show the incomparable riches of His grace expressed in His kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is a gift from God. Remembering them and reminding them of where they came from. And that will be the theme of my next message in a a couple of weeks, but here, before he gets to this point of what it looks like to be a community of faith, he's reminding them of the grace of God that has been shed abroad in their hearts and lives, not because of anything they did, but because of what God has done through Jesus Christ. And because of what God has done through Jesus Christ, we can have a right relationship with God. He goes on to say in chapter, uh, later in chapter 2, consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household. So keep in mind, he's writing to Jews and Gentiles, and he's letting them know the barriers are down. Yes, you come from different backgrounds and different cultures and different experiences, and I don't want you to dismiss those. But never forget that you are now united in Christ Jesus. Later on in chapter 3, he prays for their blessing. He prays for Christ's power in their life. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. And to know that this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Stanley articulated, we articulated beautifully, we can look to other relationships and other people, and it doesn't mean they're bad people, but they will not have the love, they will be not able to give us the love of how high and how wide and how deep the love of Christ is for you. You will try to find other relationships at times to fill that void, but only the love of Christ can do that. Have you turned to Him yet? To allow this love of Christ to be shed abroad in your heart and life. Paul has given praise to this church that that has already done that. So almost in the first three chapters, he's making a theological statement of what God has done through Christ by raising Jesus from the dead and that we can be made right with God through Christ. And now it moves in. It's a turning point in the whole letter. Chapter 4, I'll begin reading at verse 1 through verse 6. As a prisoner for the Lord, then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, One baptism. One God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, your word has been spoken. 
by the power of your Holy Spirit, I pray you apply it to our hearts and lives that we may be changed individually, but that we may also be changed corporately. May we truly be a community that glorifies you in all that we do and all that we say. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Some of your translations, verse 4, would begin, Therefore. Meaning, after everything that I've said, Paul's saying, Therefore, since you have received the grace and mercy of Christ, therefore, there are some changes that must take place in how you are living. And he says, Live a life worthy of the calling you have received. It's not about just getting your sin saved and being made right with God. As wonderful and great and beautiful and pure and true as that is, that's not all the Christian life is about. Once you receive Christ and He has forgiven you of your sins and He comes into your heart and life, now the way you are living must change. And you must live in a way that glorifies God. And glorifies God in community. And so the first point that Paul is making here as this letter transitions to this church community is that you must be one. You must be united. You must become one. Not setting aside our differences, but embracing our differences, whether you be Jew or Gentile. It's not about becoming one and all looking the same and singing the same types of songs or worshiping the same way or or anything like that. We are one because of what God has done through Christ Jesus. It is God that makes us one. One God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. So you see, I cannot know God more fully. My journey as a disciple and follower of Christ will be stagnant. I cannot know God more fully until I get to know you. Until I hear and see and learn and experience God over your life. And God over the life of your family. And God over the life of your people group or country. I cannot know God more fully until you fully embrace where you have come from and who your family is. I cannot know God more fully until you do that because, look, it says, God who is over all and through all and in all. I don't know about you, but I want to know God more. And I won't be able to know God more unless I get to know you. Unless we become a community that is truly one. Embracing our differences. Embracing our backgrounds and cultures. Embracing them because in them God is over all and through all and in all. It is God that makes us one. And there are different ways we have grown up. We have different cultures and forms of living and expressing it. And I've kind of dismissed mine for a while, but, but I'm, I'm making a change today. Uh, McPherson is a Scottish name, and a few years ago, uh, uh, my, brother and, my brothers and my father, we went to Scotland and had a great time and just learned a little bit about, more about my heritage. And, you know, all this time I've been here, I've never said, you know, we need to sing a Scottish song. Because we have so many different cultures, I don't know if we can represent each country or get every song in. And, you know, it wouldn't be fair uh, if I chose to do a Scottish song and or a song that Scottish people sing, you know, that, that, that wouldn't be fair, but I need to tell you a little story, and hopefully I'll get some sympathy, and, and you'll understand where we're going in a minute. Uh, for my wedding, uh, I asked my wife if we could have bagpipes. I asked her, can we please just have some bagpipes? Can we please just do the wedding? And she said, no, no. And I, I realized that now she was dismissing my culture. 
Now, culture is not just about music and not just about food. Um, that's just a simple, not simplistic. Uh, but through our music, we tell our stories. Uh, through our music, we tell where we've been. And I think that's why hymns are so beautiful, because they cut across all cultures of what this one God has done for us all. So hymns like Amazing Grace are sung in countries all over the world. But it's much deeper than music and food. Please know I understand that and I want you to understand that. It's only getting to know the stories and building relationships with others that we can become one because God is over all and through all and in all that you've done. He's been in your life. And you say, no, you don't know my background. I have no faith background. You don't know my background. You don't know what I've been through. You don't. I don't. I don't. But God does. And I'd like to maybe just encourage you today to, know, to let you know that God was there. And I believe that God has led you here. And the grace of God can be shed abroad in your heart and life today. And I think as you maybe look back on your journey, you'll see that the grace of God was there. So my wife said, no bagpipes at the wedding. And now that she's become a little more mature in her faith and came to know Jesus a little more, she says, Corey, all right, I was wrong. We should have had bagpipes at the wedding. I promise we're going to have them at your funeral. I promise. <laughs> Thank you, Edie. I look forward to that day. <laughs> but there is a hymn that we've sung across cultures, and many have sung it, regardless of what country you've come from. This song has been sung in almost every culture. It's not necessarily of Scottish descent. But Stanley, I don't know if you wouldn't mind just leading us. First and last verse, you got the mic right there. Will you come and lead us in the first? You can remain seated. Will you come and lead us in the first and last verse of Amazing Grace? And again, it's been sung in every country, and we're just going to sing this in the middle of the service. But if we're going to sing this, we have to sing it right.
Bright shining as the sun, we know less days to sing God's praise than when we Roger for I didn't even tell my wife about that this morning. Uh, I didn't know if she'd make me cancel on Roger, and I just couldn't, couldn't do that. But we are one, and again, it's not just about music, and it's not just about food and the simple things, though they are not simplistic. It's about recognizing that God is over all and in all and through us all. And Paul is saying that if you are going to be a community of Christ Jesus, you must be united. You must be one. You see, the church is the body of Christ. And if we are divided, if we are a broken people, the world cannot see a clear reflection of Jesus Christ. So this one message, if you will, this primary message of the book of Ephesus, the primary heart cry of Paul in this letter is, please, Be united. Do not be divided. It's not saying you're all the same, there are no differences. No, it's about embracing our differences and recognizing that God is over all and in all and through all, whatever our background, wherever we've been. We do see here he gives three quick points that we can hold on to of helping us remember to how to be one, how to be united. He says in verse 2, Be completely humble and gentle, Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Humility, gentleness, and patience. We must be a people, individually and corporately, that demonstrate this humility, this gentleness, and this patience. I've done messages on humility, which kind of seems counterproductive, but I'm coming more and more to the understanding that we can become humble people when we learn to become a grateful people. It's not about striving to be humble. It's about recognizing this incredible, great love of God who is rich in mercy that has been shed abroad in your heart and life. You see, I think when we learn to become a grateful people, we naturally come to the understanding and start to realize that what do we have that has not been given to us? It's not about striving to be a humble person. It's about wanting to become a grateful person. I think some of you are doing some sort of 365-day gratefulness thing on Facebook because for several of you I see day 264 or day 265 and you're, you're giving something, you're writing down something that you're thankful for. And I think that things like that are a good practice to actually write it down. Even in my own prayer journal, just a few weeks ago, I wrote down, Lord, help me to be more thankful and grateful for all that you've done. If we are truly going to be a community that is one, that is united, we must have a humility about us. A humility that comes only through recognizing that everything we have is a gift from God. We must be gentle, considering the needs of others before our own. Considering the needs of others, living and moving, and more worried about others and caring for them than we do for ourselves. You have wonderful witnesses of that on this campus. I've seen you, I've seen the student body here really care and look out for one another. You can even see it in Dakota, if you don't mind me using him as an example. 
VHS. Watch how Dakota lives. His main objective is to care for her. I think even Dakota can teach us what it means to be a follower of Christ. To be a gentle people, putting the needs of others first. Paul is saying we must be humble, we must be gentle, and we must be patient with one another. Patient with one another. Let me put it this way. We need to learn to become tolerant of the shortcomings of others. Not to excuse others, but to be patient, understanding that we're all in different places on our journey. Understanding that all of us are in a place in our journey that may be great, or some of you may be in a very difficult place right now. But Paul says if you must be one, you must be one, and you must be patient with one another as you learn to be a community of faith that glorifies Christ Jesus. Later on in the book, he's giving more instructions. Stop gossiping. Stop tearing each other down. Build each other up. Above all, be united. The humility, gentleness, and patience that Christ has for us must be exhibited in us personally and in this community. And this is how we bear with one another in love. Keeping the unity of the Spirit because the world is watching. The world is watching. Our community is watching. And are we going to beautifully reflect the glory and grace and peace of Jesus Christ? Or will we be a divided and fractured community where people can't look and see the light of Christ on our campus? So this is why we decided to make the theme one. Personally in our lives to surrender to Christ so that we might come to a saving relationship with Christ, but as one community, embracing our differences, getting to know the stories of others, building the relationships of others, recognizing that God is over all and through all and in all. And I can't grow as a disciple, you can't grow as a disciple until we see what God has done in the life of another. So may we be one. Maybe we be one. The church and Christian communities are to be a picture of unity. Not always agreeing, having disagreements, coming from different backgrounds and cultures, but representing a united oneness in Christ Jesus because it is God that makes us one. This morning we're going to the Lord's table together. And coming to the Lord's table is not a prerequisite of unity, but the Lord's table is an expression of unity. Let us not forget that we are one at one table with the Lord. I'm going to ask our servers to come forward. Your fellow students are going to be serving you this morning. and Maybe you haven't taken communion in this way. A tray is going to be passed. And in it there's a cup. And in the middle of the tray there's a little wafer. If you could just take the cup and the wafer and hold that. And then we'll partake together. And I also want to say there are many, and we believe in an open table, which means that you do not need to be a member of the Church of the Nazarene, or uh, we believe this is God's table, not our table. And so all are welcome to come. All are welcome to come. We do ask that you come in a spirit of repentance, and we'll have a prayer of repentance in a moment. But I also want to say we believe in the Church of the Nazarene that you can allow this moment, by taking of these elements in just a few minutes, this can be your moment where you decide to receive the love and grace and mercy of Jesus Christ. So 
Some have done that at prayer altars at their church or at camps and even here in chapel. But this is another way where you can say, yes, I will follow you, Jesus. And so just hold the elements. We'll have a time of prayer and then we'll partake of the elements together. While the elements are being distributed, you're going to watch a video that uh, Dr. Vernon Wesley pointed out to me that says it's a video for an organization of Christian artists called As One. And As One seeks to restore the church to its historically traditional role as being a patron of the arts. I'm so glad we have artists in the Christian community. And so now they're speaking out and leading the way in many ways to let our voice be heard as Christians, artists are part of this community and we need to hear their voice. So watch the video as the elements are being distributed. Hold them and then we'll take them together. I am. I am. I am a Christian. I am a follower of Christ. I am a believer. And we? We are the church. I am an evangelical. Methodist. Seventh-day Adventist. I'm a Lutheran. Non-denominational. Psych-Catholica. Presbyterian. Nazarene. Woohoo! I don't know, man. I'm just the guy who shows up on Sunday. Whatever our background. Whatever our past. We are the church. We are the future. We are the light. We are as one. As one. As one. We are a group. We are a family. We are million strong. Million. Tri-billion. And we are making a change as one as one as one there was a time far too long ago when we were creators of culture we were patrons of the arts taste makers trendsetters innovators builders of a better world we were lovers of beauty architects of awe we inspired 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 the world but then we stopped walked away caved up turned our backs We left it to others to create, to build, to inspire. And left it to them to define me. Define me. And they did. Bigot. Backward. Hypocrite. Homophobe. Judgmental. Then what were we thinking? What were we thinking? That's not me. Or me. Or me. I'm none of those things. None of those things. So it's time. Time for a change. Time for our voices to be heard. No more silence. No more silence. No more pretending that culture doesn't matter. It matters. Creativity matters. Excellence matters. And we will be there. We will be there. We are artists. We are thinkers. We are dreamers. We are patrons of the arts. A generation rising up, rising up to take its place. We are inventive, inspiring, loving, courageous, sophisticated, forward-thinking, forward-believing, open-minded. Our voices make a difference, and we are back. But we need your help. We have a plan, and we're going to be strategic. We can do this together. We can change the game. We can change the world. We can change the future. It's up to us. We are united in our goal. We are united in our faith. We are united as one. We are as one. As one. As one. As one.
ordained this holy sacrament. He commanded his disciples to partake of the bread and wine, emblems of his broken body and shed blood. This is his table. The feast is for his disciples. Let all those who have with true repentance forsaken their sins and have believed in Christ unto salvation draw near and take these emblems and by faith partake of the life of Jesus Christ to your soul's comfort and joy. Let us remember that it is the memorial of the death and passion of our Lord, also a token of his coming again. Let us not forget that we are one at one table with the Lord. Before we partake, let us pray. And as silence beyond words, lift your prayers of confession to the Lord this morning before we partake of these emblems. And if you have not done so, or maybe you'd like to renew your commitment, this can be the day where your sins are forgiven, all is forgiven, and you have a new life in Christ Jesus. Now hear these words. In the name of Jesus Christ, you are forgiven. The body of our Lord Jesus Christ, which was broken for you, preserve you blameless unto everlasting life. Take and eat this in remembrance that Christ died for you. The blood of our Lord Jesus Christ, which was shed for you, preserve you blameless unto everlasting life. Drink this in remembrance that Christ's blood was shed for you. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen and amen. You are dismissed. Go in peace. Have a wonderful weekend.